0: Welcome back to the Ask Us Anything podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And today Sam writes in and he asks a great question. What is a biblical sexual ethic? Sam, you ask a great question. And as we begin to think about what is a biblical sexual ethic, we must first take a look at Genesis 1 with God created Adam. And there we see that man is not an accident. God made Adam from the dust. He fashioned him in his likeness, and he breathed life into his lungs. Man is an intentional and a purposeful creation of the Creator God. And not only that, when we turn to the next page, to Genesis 2, we see that God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And that's significant because Adam was a leader in the garden. He was doing hard work, he needed companionship, and he needed somebody to do life with. And so God created for Adam his wife Eve, using one of his ribs to be his helpmate. What I just walked you through is one of the most controversial passages in the scripture in our culture today. It shouldn't be, but it really is. And we begin here with God creating because it's here that he establishes the rules for biblical sexual ethics. A biblical sexual ethic starts between one man and one woman for life. And many people in our culture today say, no, that, that is wrong. But a biblical sexual ethic teaches that a man is to be a man and a woman is to be a woman. And by doing so, they reflect the creator in their specific gender. A man isn't to be a woman. A woman isn't to become a man. Doing so is an affront against the creator. And so we need to make clear to people that there is a difference between a man and a woman, if we're going to help them understand the framework of a biblical sexual ethic. Sadly today, though, we live in a culture that Paul describes in many places, but specifically in Romans 1, a culture that worships the creator rather than the creature. All you have to do is is go through the grocery store line at your store, and you can see this statement proved by a glance at the cover of certain magazines near the register. Or you can see that if you go down to the beach to be to any mall, to any place in the world, or on the internet where there are videos and images by the millions and growing. And it's into this precise situation that a biblical sexual ethic needs to be proclaimed. In 1 Timothy, Paul describes desires to ensure that Timothy proclaims sound doctrine and that it is preserved. His instruction to Timothy is beneficial. He is taught to teach sound doctrine. To raise up leaders who are able to teach sound doctrine, and to command sound doctrine, and to guard sound doctrine. To do so is neither a trite nor is it a secondary matter to Paul. It is a gospel issue. And many people are telling us today that doctrine doesn't matter at all. And yet Paul's instruction to Timothy is telling. Doctrine matters. The famous Martin Lloyd-Jones taught through a series he entitled The Great Doctrines of the Bible for this precise reason. Lloyd-Jones, a medical doctor, was trained to diagnose patients and to give them the right remedy. To Lloyd-Jones as a pastor, to fail to provide the correct diagnosis and to deliver God's people the proper treatment was to fail in his task. And it's the same today for pastors and ministry leaders. Paul's instruction to Timothy is binding on us today because of the inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, and authoritative word of God. You see, to fail in this task is to fail in our task. And it's vital here to understand this because sound doctrine matters. But it matters because it enables right living before the face of God. We are seeing many people today abandon a biblical sexual ethic because they don't believe in the word of God. Instead, they think that they can redefine or even remove biblical sexual ethics from the Bible. And to do so is to rip out Paul's instruction on many matters related to the Christian life. For example, how can we know about the fruits of the Spirit? Well, in the context of talking about the fruits of the Spirit, Paul talks about biblical morality. And furthermore, when talking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks to them about biblical sexual ethics. And so we're going to have to rip out 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5 right out of our Bibles. And we would have to take out also Colossians 3 and many other passages in the Bible, including vast portions of the Old Testament law that teach about a biblically informed sexuality and ethics. And yet we see this redefinition all over the place on biblical sexuality and biblical sexual ethics, precisely because people don't believe in sound doctrine. They have doctrine, make no mistake about it. But it's not biblical doctrine. Such doctrine is not binding on people's lives because it originates in people's hearts and their minds, not in the Word of God. Redefining orthodoxy often focuses on how we feel rather than on what the Bible teaches. Doing so gives the wrong diagnosis and thus offers the wrong remedy. The right remedy is to begin with what the Bible teaches. Because the Bible also provides the proper remedy in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul right out of the gate charges Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 1.3 to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And then he goes on to explain to Timothy people who were set, setting themselves up as teachers of sound doctrine. Paul goes on to describe these false teachers, describing them as those who make confident statements they do not understand nor do they know anything, 1 Timothy 3 7 says. Paul gives the right and the wrong use of the law. Tackling those things false teachers were either failing to teach or were contradicting with their lives. 1 Timothy 1 8 through 11 says, Now we know that the law is good. If anyone uses it lawfully, understanding this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. Earlier I explained how a biblical sexual ethic and biblical sexuality are under attack. But it's also important here to explain how both of those points lead to the heart of biblical morality. If we abandon biblical sexuality and a biblical sexual ethic, what we're doing is abandoning any framework for biblical morality. And if we have no biblical morality, then why should we ever care about how we live before the face of God? Why do we care about sexuality at all? And it's precisely this point Many people today, they don't care. They call themselves Christians, but they live in open rebellion against the God they say they believe in the Bible. They live lives filled with pornography, with sex outside marriage, and many things that are outside the bounds for a Christian to do and to behave. According to Paul in 1 Timothy 1, through 8-11, this list of sins is a list that includes murder, homosexuality, enslavement, lying. And but he also adds there, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul's statements in 1 Timothy 1.11 should genuinely get our attention. Paul's definition of sound doctrine is opposed to the vice list in 1 Timothy through 10 It's such that it is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted with. You see, the gospel is itself the fountainhead of sound doctrine. If we get the foundation wrong, then every other part will crumble and fall. For example, if we're wrong on creation, namely how God created men and women, then how can we understand what happens in Genesis 3? And if we don't know what happens in Genesis 3, how can we begin to understand what happens in the rest of the Old Testament and even in the New Testament? The answer is we can't. When they put in the foundation for our house, it's one of the most essential aspects of the home. It has to be strong and it has to be right. And the same is true with the gospel. that is how deadly serious it is that sound doctrine matters. You see it matters because it gives us the right foundation to build the rest of our doctrine and our theology. Sound doctrine entails biblical ethics to compromise on biblical ethics, same sex marriage, abortion, etc, is to compromise sound doctrine, which first 1 Timothy one eleven says is to compromise the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Christian ethics is not an agree-to-disagree issue. The Nashville Statement from the Council on Biblical Manhood is clear on Article X on this matter. We affirm that it is sinful to approve of homosexual immorality or transgenderism and that such approval constitutes an essential departure from Christian faithfulness and witness. We deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about which otherwise faithful Christians should agree to disagree. So if we say that this is an agree to disagree point as Christians, we are missing Paul's point. We're denying the foundation for Christianity, the gospel. Paul's teaching is clear. We are to confront false teaching wherever it is, that does not go along with the gospel of the blessed God, who we not only believe, but we have been entrusted with his word. But you and I, we're living in a culture today that places its feelings at the forefront. And in many ways, feelings are the doctrine of our culture. Every single person, R.C. Sproul once remarked, is a theologian. But the question is, whether they're a good theologian or a bad theologian and bad theologies exist, make no mistake about it, because of bad theologians. They perpetuate unsound doctrine because they're not sound. They do not believe the gospel. And this is precisely what we're seeing in our culture. Even in many quarters of the church, people are opposed to the God of the Bible. The God they say they love is actually opposed to what they believe on matters related to same-sex marriage. Abortion. Homosexuality just to name a few things. And yet these people continue undeterred by teaching false doctrine. They say they are unafraid, but they have no fear of God. They are, to put it bluntly, not converted. They are not regenerate. They are false teachers perpetuating false doctrine because they don't believe in the God they say they believe. Our response to such people should be to continue to preach the word in season and out of season. We must, in a culture that is greatly confused about biblical sexuality, to preach the whole counsel of the word of God. You see, this is not a matter of our opinion. It is a matter of the authority of the word of God. God's word teaches this about biblical sexuality. And, and so we stand opposed to the position of homosexuality, to same-sex marriage to transgenderism, and so on and so forth. We do so not because we're opposed to image bearers. We do so because we're opposed to those who teach contrary to sound doctrine. We are not against people themselves. We are against the positions they hold. And so we continue to proclaim lovingly and biblically that the truth matters. And that's a matter of love to confront error. It is also a matter we should pray about. Because the truth matters, people matter. And we as Christians are called to love God and people. We must not only proclaim but pray. For those who are lost, so the Lord would open their eyes to the truth of the word and smash their opinions and unsound doctrine into a million pieces and reveal their utter need for the Savior who bled, died, was buried, and rose again for them. See, only the Lord can illuminate the truth of the word of God by the holy spirit. And so we must be faithful, we must stand fast, and we must proclaim sound doctrine, sound living, and sound ethics. And morality matter. If we don't, we fail in our task, in our mission to make disciples. And so this is a desperately urgent and desperately needed because we have been given the diagnosis about the human race. That is it's not improving. We are sinners by nature and by choice. But we've also been given the remedy. There is hope in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. And so let us stand. Let us proclaim with urgency, even if people don't want to hear it, the message that sound doctrine, sound living, biblical morality, biblical sexuality, and the whole counsel of God, they matter with passion, with all we are, to the glory of God, even as we live before the face of God i want to thank you for listening to this episode of the ask us anything podcast my name is dave and i'm your host for this podcast and if you enjoy this episode let me encourage you to check out our resources at ServantsOfGrace.org. there you'll find years of of uh, articles and reviews additional podcasts like the equipping you in grace podcast our sermon feed also you'll find uh, further episodes of this podcast. You'll also see that we have daily Bible series. We have an online magazine called Theology for Life. We recently published an issue on these very topics that I discussed today. Wherever you're at today, I just want to thank you for listening today and pray Christ's richest blessings on you. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you.